Welcome to the Spinster Life Podcast, the podcast that doesn't objectify women with sexy super suits. Today, my guest is friend of the show, Lucy Rivers. She's a postgraduate researcher and expert on mental health in sitcoms. Previously, we've analyzed how single women are portrayed on sitcoms and the portrayal of women in the Netflix show BoJack Horseman. Today, we have something very special lined up because we will be discussing the women of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There will be spoilers. You have been warned. Thank you so much for being here again, Lizzie. Oh, thank you so much for having me again. I'm so excited. Yes, (laughs) I am too. Because this has been an interesting experiment. Very full disclosure, I had never seen any of the Marvel movies. Actually, no, that's a lie. Before I did the research for this episode, I'd seen Black Widow. That was the only one that I'd ever Uh seen before. But yeah, so yeah, I had never seen any of the Marvel movies. They've just never appealed to me. I'm not a big fan of action movies. I never got into comic books. So there just wasn't a lot for these movies to offer me, despite how wildly popular they are. So when Lucy suggested this topic, I was like, okay, all right, it's probably about time that I see what all of this is about. <laughs> dip a toe in. Just yeah. dip a toe in. See what it's like. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've got a pretty good feel for the whole universe overall. But Lucy, how about your journey into finding these movies? How did you enter the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Well, like you, I've not been I've I've never been into comic books. So my introduction was purely to the cinematic universe. And it started right at the beginning. It started with Iron Man. I was working at the cinema at the time that this came out. So, you know, ample opportunity to watch. I believe I took about four people maybe to see it with me in the end, I think, giving them the free tickets and whatever, but uh, but also to just see it repeatedly because I was very taken with it. I really, really enjoyed it. So that was my introduction. And so, yeah, I, I sort of, it's been with me throughout. I, I've watched each one as it came out pretty much. So the exact opposite <laughs> in the yeah. sense of very far from fresh eyes. Was it's, it that uh, you just saw the movie because you were working at the theater and you were like, yeah. oh, wow, this is amazing. Or was it something that you were like, looking forward to seeing when it came out? Uh, no, I don't recall any lead up particularly. I'm sure that there was plenty of hype. I'm sure that there was, but I don't remember any of it. All I remember is I can see the films based on trailers or whatever. I'd like to see this one. So let's go with it. And I did. And then all these years later and how how many Marvel <laughs> films later and uh, and I'm still watching each one as it comes out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, do you think it'd be useful to just do an overview of the MCU? Yeah, let's take us back in history because it's not been too terribly long that these movies have been out, but I think there's been a huge cultural shift since the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and I think you can really see that. Yes, totally. let's tell us a little totally. bit about, about where we started. Okay, yeah, so totally. So MCU, it is a global phenomenon. It's enjoyed exceptional success, and that's why I think that it's actually worth talking about and its representation of things particularly. So to date, it has a total of 30 films currently released. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, with a further 10 planned for release between just between 2023 and 2026. So yeah, it is a global phenomenon. It's exceptionally successful. And it includes like countless broken box office records. And this material has just had such an impact on popular culture as a whole and on the industry itself. It's Absolutely. really way beyond. For yeah, better or I for mean, worse, it has had yeah, a huge, it has huge, a huge, huge yeah. impact, for, you know, for better or for worse. So it really does, this really does go way beyond what we can even get into on one podcast, to be honest. It's such a big topic. Absolutely. And I'm sure there are podcasts exclusively oh, yeah. dedicated oh, yeah. 
I'm to sure. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm sure that there are. And but yeah, so but just as a kind of a very quick overview of, of the impact this has had, why it's impactful, all that kind of stuff. Some of its box office records, for instance, include I did research here, they include <laughs> <laughs> highest grossing solo superhero film. That was for Black Panther, biggest opening box office for a weekend release. That was for Avengers Ultron. And that crushed the prior lead, which had been uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Avengers Endgame has probably got the most accolades by far because millions obviously flocked to see the end of this like huge story arc that had been building for like 11 years worth of movies at that point. It succeeded in crushing the record for highest average ticket sales per theatre, which had previously been held for 40 years by Star Wars Return of the Jedi. So I think that tells you a bit of something about the number of people that were going to see this. Yeah. And yeah, even more incredibly still though, it ended Avatar's 11 year position as highest grossing film of all time. That's pretty significant, isn't it? I mean, granted, this has been overturned again in Avatar's favor since because they released sneakily released in my opinion um <laughs> the film in uh, in china and stuff and that pushed it back over but even still avenger endgames remains the highest grossing franchise film of all time to now at the time of recording as it's really impactful just culturally obviously the films from phase one they kind of put them in phases i don't quite understand why i think it might be a comic book like leftover but phase one through phase three they're collectively known as the infinity saga and that comprises 23 films those are largely the ones that i figured we'd probably be discussing today with maybe like the exception of possibly some of the representation of scarlet witch maybe in one of the most recent ones that i've seen but because she features heavily but as a villain oh sorry spoilers <laughs> so yeah there's gonna be spoilers just there's there is gonna be, gonna be spoilers. there's going to be spoilers but most of the films we're going to be discussing have been out for at least at a year at least a year and yeah, many of least. them at least a decade so you've you've so, had time you've so had time it's on you it yeah, is it's on, on you, you. <laughs> yeah we could but we can't talk about we obviously we can't talk about these marvelous ladies without without <laughs> yes, <laughs> did you like what without, I did there? <laughs> I did like that. Yes. Without spoilers, because there will be spoilers. Yeah. Yes. Right, because we need to get into some of the, the real plot points, the real yeah. things that are revealed yeah, about these characters yeah. throughout the movies. And their journeys and stuff in, in general. So yeah, yeah, it's gonna be there's gonna be spoilers. So would it help to just let's just talk about like women, I guess, in the MCU generally yeah. then, I suppose, yeah. because that'll be our in, right? Which, um, yes. Which kind of means that for like the for the phase one movies, I think yeah. is that th- those are like um Iron Man, yeah. Captain America, Thor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they kind of introduce those the core characters that are going yeah. to be with you throughout the whole Although I think Saga. Avengers, the Avengers was also was also phase one. It was either phase one or the beginning of phase two. The first phase is is pretty light on on female representation, yeah. obviously. So we have um, Pepper Potts in Iron yeah. Man in the first movie. That movie is such an outlier to me, mm. Mm. just because of the, how women are portrayed. Yeah. Tony is a womanizer, totally. and he's bringing home a lot of random girls. And Pepper Potts, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, is his assistant. Mm-hmm. And one of her first lines is in reference to a woman saying, I take out the trash. And it's this woman on woman hate crime. And it just stands out to me. Like, it's, you know, the movie came out in 2008. Mm -hmm. And I just can't imagine 
a movie <laughs> feels, now that would be late for 2008 as well, doesn't it? But yeah, kind of, certainly, kind of. Yeah. right. But it just, yeah, you think back to that time and you're like, wow, was there that much like snark, that mm. like snark, that competition, that, that cattiness? Yeah. And you couldn't that, imagine it now. You're like, you couldn't really imagine it. And that just shows yeah. what a departure there's been in just this short amount of time. Right. Or if that was, if you were going to do that, it would be a commentary on the character. And that wasn't a commentary on the character. That was just like... No. That was just sort of... That was just like, you're a woman and you have slept with Tony Stark, therefore you are trash, the title take out. That's a pretty, pretty sweeping statements there. Yeah. Yes. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. And then, but then, then there's another moment in that movie. Mm -hmm. Martoni tries to put the moves on Pepper because she's wearing Mm. this backless dress and she looks really, really good. But she says, I don't want this this way. I don't want to look mm. like the woman who got to where she was because she slept yeah. with the boss. So, like, in that same movie, you have these two mm-hmm. competing ideas, like, butting heads up against her. Absolutely. I totally agree. It's. I think the interesting thing about Pepper is that she certainly saw some changes. She started out, I would say, in Iron Man, she functions narratively and representationally more like a secretary because even though she has this formidable sort of amount of power and access and everything and so much access within the company and she's more active in the company than Tony is it's still Tony that's the actual owner even when he gives her very formidable titles literally makes her like CEO throughout the series he's still the owner and even if she runs things, like she runs things, but he's the owner, you know, he's still got yeah. the power. She's the one who's actually doing all the stuff day to day or whatever. She's been paid probably really well for it, but he's yes. got the power. Plus the fact that he does things like without getting company approval really negates the whole agency that's supposed to be there anyway. And then if yeah. you even think about it in And even worse, it's like you highlighted there. She didn't want this to look like a situation where she slept her way up. But equally, the only reason she really does get these positions is ultimately due to Tony's interest in her sexually. There's a lot more focus placed on his desire for her than his like basic level of respect for her and the ability that she has to do her jobs. Right. So initially, (laughs) I think as the but as like Tony grows and changes and the series goes on, he is. Yeah. Yes, I would say I would that, say that, like, but I would say that that's implicit due to his other changes. Like, I wouldn't say that I see it represented that easily, yes. I, if that makes sense. Yes. Well, and I would also say that Pepper doesn't get a lot of screen time. As no, Pepper she Potts, she gets some when she's like in her Iron Man suit or when yeah. she's fighting. But as her day-to-day role as the face of the company yeah, and the really. CEO or whatever, she doesn't get a lot of screen time. Yeah. And I think that that's really really important. And I will talk about this quite a lot. I will talk about, I think, power and like the superness and stuff and that kind of dichotomy is a lot. But I do think it's worth noting that she actually does gain supernatural power herself briefly. But this is conveniently, it's an unstable power that has to be fixed. So she literally saves his life and kills the villain. And then he comes all up to her and everything. It's like, it's okay. It's okay. I'll fix you. I'll fix you. I'll fix this kind of thing. She has to be made normal again, literally stripping her of this power and ability to protect herself from further kidnappings or whatever else happens in the future. It's like literally gets all ripped away from her again, but it's all under the guise of, oh, because he's saving her now again. Like, is he going to fix her? And she is always this figure, even if she's not on screen saying, 
I don't want this kind of life. I don't want to be involved mm-hmm. in this superhero stuff. It's kind of mm-hmm. Tony telling us mm-hmm. that that's how she feels. There's a lot there with uh, with Pepper. I just think that it's... I will say that I think that it improved, I guess, a, yes. a little. E- even though there's like some kind of girl bossification of her becoming there is, the CEO. Because yeah. we and never that's see interesting what she because does. That's- no, exactly. Yeah, that you're right. And I also think that that fits exactly in that timeline, like when that film, those films were coming out as well. That's yes. exactly type girl boss type time. So I think that alignment is very interesting. I think that's one of the interesting things you can do with the Marvel series as a whole. You can really trace it to certain moments. Another perfect example of that is the bit in Endgame where I can't remember which character off the top of my head. One of the one of the heroines is in danger and she says something like i can't do this alone then there's you're not alone or you know she's oh, not yeah, the, alone the, the woman and power the, moment and the women woman power moment like yeah how very exactly post me too is that i mean yeah. it's so heavy-handed there's literally no men in that shot what's even the probability of that on a battlefield that all right. the women managed to convert so you really have to think about what is the purpose of this? There is a purpose to that. It's political. It's it's a director's choice. It's not functional, like narratively speaking at right. all. So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just it was this, a moment for the fans. Yeah. It was it was a, a moment for the fans, but and, and absolutely political. Moment, it was a completely political women having each other's back moment which again very interesting compared to iron man the take out the trash moment yeah interesting to see that full circle however it is a moment in time that i reckon will date it probably in retrospect it already it smacks to me very up that's just post me too that's exactly just post me too right not like almost they were forced their hand was forced to to have a shot like that in the movie I, it just seems so ham ham fisted, just heavy handed. This is our nod to what's going on here, girls, kind of thing, yeah. you know, just a bit. Right. Yeah, and then, yeah, right. and then you, on this battlefield, and there's just so much like ag- aggression and, you know, it's they, just, yeah. Yes, they're like these strong, interesting female characters, but mm. they're still. They're all just like fighting. It's all like brute strength versus brute strength. Yeah. yeah. It's not I really think, like- I think there's a lot of dilution when it comes to women in the MCU. A great example of this, I would suggest, is, is Wanda. I would put Wanda f- forward for this. I'd say that even though she's like central to the Infinity Saga and one of the Avengers and exceptionally super, like to the point she's practically just magic. Like her name is Scarlet Witch. Like she is basically just magic because of telekinesis and like mind control. She literally can do most things you could think of like at the drop of a hat. She's one of the absolute most powerful superheroes. And yet this limitless power, it's just like really underutilized when she's an actual Avenger, just to make her seem less powerful, just to make her fall in line or seem at a similar level to the others. Yes. I think. Um, I think. And when she's first developing her powers, like they're mm-hmm. almost scared of her and they try and like yeah, bench there's her. There's a lot of, yes. And, and in like fear the feminine her. power fear the feminine power right <laughs> it's like it really is like she is such a threat to them that like they have to make it as a no but she's unstable and all oh, but we don't i don't know about this and well like there's a lot of undercutting there's also a lot of infantilization about her there's a lot of almost 
fatherly stuff that goes on with certain characters a bit like like with like with Hawkeye and at first even I thought with Vision and then it becomes something totally different and that actually took me like yeah nice. and yeah I don't know <laughs> so, I don't know how I feel about that relationship but mm, you know, yeah. there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of stuff around that relationship yes. that, that comes out and I do think that's interesting I think some of the standout moments that just really show how diluted they make her then is in Ultron I think she's like the only one that like starts failing sort of starts buckling under pressure at the climax type moment it's like she's been able to perform formidably before and she's been totally fine and just wave her hand and stuff happens but it's like oh no it's all too much and stuff and it it means that Hawkeye like the guy that shoots arrows and I guess is really fit that's that's kind of like his his power (laughs) I guess he has to come in and bolster her like he has to talk her up and give her a pep talk and stuff so that makes him the hero of the moment because it just makes her like a tool i'm not sure how i feel about that though because mm. the age of ultron that's the one where at the beginning she's a villain mm. and then she yeah, comes yeah, to yeah. fight become an avenger yeah and that's yeah. by the end she is yeah and that's the fight where her brother is killed yeah i'm not saying that there might not be like narrative reasons that they're placing there right i'm just but... saying it's a choice still you know it yes. is still a choice and it does mean something when you're watching this and even though she's that powerful she has to be saved that suggests something um quite a bit as well yeah no ag- um, agreed but i w- i would also say that she's like one of the more complex of oh the no characters. yeah totally I mean, so, by the end, uh, w- when you bear in mind WandaVision, oh my gosh, completely, yeah, um, entirely. You know, and uh, I do think that when it comes to WandaVision, obviously <laughs> sitcoms and everything, I love what WandaVision was trying to do. I think it was fascinating to me just as a construct and as an idea and all the nostalgia and stuff. It's like this perfect marriage of if you're a sitcom fan or just a fan of that genre overall, and of comedy, meeting the kind of fans that you'll get of intertextuality. So intertextuality is basically this thing that Hollywood is literally built on now, which is basically not really original content. It's referencing other content. So, so you know, Stranger Things, oh, this is like uh, Stephen King. Oh, this is like those great films of the 80s or remakes of Disney films. Ah, oh, this is this reminds me of that exact other <laughs> Disney version of this film. You know, yeah. this kind of stuff. So it's kind of like the perfect marriage of these two things because there's the cultural side of it for the intertextuality and also bringing Marvel into the idea of, oh, push, clashing it in alignment with like, oh yeah, these sitcoms exist in this world. And then on the other side of it, just comedy and sitcoms. So obviously it's of particular interest to me, obviously, not to yes. mention the fact that it is all literally about mental health. But one of the things that I do have to wonder about is what it says that she's being placed in a stereotypical housewife role, considering that's the very image that second wave feminism was trying to break away from as the standard feminine ideal. It's almost as if they're saying this is this choice. It's it's the most troubling element of that series in a way, because it's almost as if it's like she wants to escape from her agency. All that agency and everything is just too much. She'd prefer a simpler, more subservient existence from the past yeah. or something, you know? yeah. Yeah, there yes. is a lot there that like her, like back to the good old days. Yeah, exactly. Back to the good old days. As, <laughs> back to the like, good old of, days. A lot of like traditional yeah. men 
would like yeah. to go back to that time yes. when women were in the home. And yes, home. exactly. I know it's also tied up with other things. It's tied up with escapism because obviously they make the very, very firm point that this was what she loved growing up. This was always her escape when anything bad happened. They show that through flashbacks and everything that at every horrific point in her life, there was some sitcom playing in the background for some reason. Yeah. So, you know, it makes sense like narratively and everything. And I understand that it's also tied up with her desire for family that she has lost. I and completely understand all of that. And again, I do think character-wise there's that that it's really quite complex and really interesting. But at the same time, I do wonder what it says yeah. about well, it. That that it's, you know, back to the good old days and back to this. And I understand that on screen at least there's almost like this different version of on screen back to the good old days so you're looking at like the modern mcu and all the gadgets and all that kind of stuff there's almost like this sort of ah but wasn't it also really cool and nostalgic when screen was just like old tv shows that were like all funny and just variety and comedy and stuff as well so i think it's really interesting because there's also the clash of on screen good old days and real life good old days. So you've got Mm -hmm. like very classic sitcoms, the mix of shows in WandaVision, the Dick Van Dyke show and Bewitched were were very much inspiration. And then to me, it was like a combination of Modern Family, The Office. um, And then there's like that Malcolm in the Middle inspired. Yes, they are touch points in her own life. Like she was watching Malcolm in the Middle kind of things, Modern Family type things when stuff was falling apart, like post the death of her brother, for instance. Right. Like she's she's almost like she's with the Avengers and stuff, but she's watching those things. Whereas the older stuff, like I Love Lucy, Bewitched, I Dream of Jeannie, those type ones, the black and white type ones and stuff, that was for when she was really a child. And then you get to those like, the Brady Bunch section kind of thing. And there's the 80s section, which is more like family ties and full house, essentially. This is what is interesting, so fascinating to me. It does track the changing of the genre itself and how it became, how it started going into mockumentary and stuff, those different formats. So yeah, I think that's fascinating. The role of women and more women having jobs outside the house. Her job is controlling the universe. She doesn't doesn't necessarily have time to get a job outside the house. But (laughs) um, yeah, yeah, that we do have those like two different roles of women. Mm. And that she is, you know, mm-hmm. she's really drawing on, on all of it. There's so much that I could talk about. I could probably talk about Wanda, like, all by herself. Yes. Yeah, I, it's, I, it's I very, very much agree. She is yeah. one of the most so complex characters. Very yes. complex. Yes. What about Black Widow? We should probably talk about Black Widow, considering she yeah. is essentially, she is the first superheroine of the MCU, because she first appears in... Iron Man 2. Granted, like, she's, she's like, barely there. No character development, like, whatsoever. She's there to be mysterious <laughs> and alluring and look highly skilled as a spectacle. And that's literally all, like, her job is in that film. But there is progression, obviously. She undoubtedly has the most screen time of any superheroine in the MCU to date. There's just a hell of a lot to be said for the sexualization of, of her and, yes. and them in general. There was a Jennifer Lawrence movie that mm-hmm. came out several years ago. I think it was called Red Sparrow. I think they oh, were yeah. supposed to be sort of similar characters. And well, Killing no, Eve. Oh, Villanelle, right, right, Villanelle right, right. from Killing Eve. They're all yep. sort of Soviet bloc. They've been trained yes. by, you know, like yeah. like either like the KGB or some other shadowy yeah. Russian organization. And they're they're masters of disguise. They're great at fighting, yes. and killing machines. And yeah. they also uh, use proper assassins, yeah. Yes, they use their sexuality 
in order yeah. to to get access to some of to their targets and, and to get exactly, what they yeah. want. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I she's think... sort of in that vein of character. It's totally, like, completely agree. Like, it is exactly from that kind of stock idea, isn't it, of the, you know, Russian block train and everything. Black Widow typifies or is a great example for the overarching problems that exist in the MCU. I was reading some really interesting research that was from the Journal of Student Research. They conducted analysis of female representation in the MCU, and they concluded that females in the MCU were sexualized basically from all angles. The directors sexualized them by the choice of angles, by the choice of shots, et cetera, et cetera. Shout out for that good old concept of the male gaze in cinema at that point. <laughs> the costume designers sexualized them due to the choice of the constraining and really like overtly revealing and sexual type of costumes. Even more disturbing when you think of the fact that a high percentage of designers are women and therefore they're complicit in this sexualization. However, yeah. willingly or otherwise, they are complicit there in that. But also even by their male co-stars. And I'm presuming, or at least hoping, that they mean in terms of in character, not outside of character, but right. who knows, me too and yeah. all that. <laughs> but ultimately, the authors of this research, they, they felt that Marvel lacked female inclusivity. And one of the May, the worst aspects of this is the way that the treatment of female characters serves to uphold patriarchal structures and preserve these kind of really harmful stereotypes. And I really feel like Black Widow is it is a prime example of it, really. Just think of, for instance, obviously, there's the catsuit cat controversies. There was that amazing moment where Scarlett Hansen basically just completely shows up this interviewer who keeps asking about like the suits and everything. It's like, oh, why are you so interested? Do you want one? You know, it's like, yeah what like that and just undercuts how utterly ridiculous it is the focus on what she wears in these films so i think there's a lot to be said for the objectification there but then also think about other things like think of the narrative of the damaged single woman as well like she was made infertile like by force like she was sterilized right yeah and stuff right if you remember that that's like really disturbing stuff it's thrown out there and like practically got like never returned to again i think it came up in ultron or something and it gives her the perceived reason like for her singleness by way of this damage as if being a spine and adventure wasn't enough for someone to have on their plate anyway right but, you know <laughs> the sterilization like serves both to, both to uphold these disturbing concepts of damaged goods some women losing their worth as potential partners if they cannot be mothers right and and how that's the only way that she can fit in with this mm. group is if all of that stuff about her is removed if you can remove mm, um yeah you know, that, that part of her is like the stripping femininity of her as a, yeah yeah stripping like femininity a- stripping the possibility of motherhood it links to this idea of motherhood and caring and morality only if you take away those things could you possibly in any way match up to what a man could do in these positions and in these situations right yeah. so i yes. think that that's really interesting but like, even worse, when this convo is brought up about her sterilization, she asks Bruce uh, Hulk if knowing this, he still thinks that he's the only monster in the team. As if, right? Yeah, as if, as, that, if like, her, as if you know her infertility makes her monstrous. Right? You know that is certainly fucked up. I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. well, one interesting <clears throat> way that they give something back to her is mm. that. Everyone else has some kind of supernatural uh, or mechanical reason yeah. that they're a superhero. And she yes. has training. It's her. It's her 
Although Hawkeye technically is just very skilled as well. Technically, I guess. Technically, I guess. But, you know, there, there's only one of him. You have, like, you <laughs> yeah. know, you have a man who can create a, a <clears throat> super suit that can turn a dude into a plane. You have a, a man who is enhanced by science. You have a one who's, one who's just literally a god. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, have, you have the, the result exactly, of yeah. a nuclear accident. When you look at them in a scene mm. and they're fighting. Mm. Like and I mean, this it is, is, it this is exceptional, says, right? That like she is exceptional, and it should underline the fact that well, she is an exceptional, exceptional human because she right. is able to to yes. you know to have impact alongside these superhuman individuals. Yeah, and I agree. I agree totally. In fact, should she even be called a superheroine because she doesn't have superpowers? What the MCU tends to almost promote is this idea that women can be skilled but not super. So like mm. women, women are better at doing practical things in which they may be super intelligent, like with degrees coming out of their eyes and able to manipulate all kinds of like amazing sciencey stuff or dumbfoundingly skilled at fighting to the point where they have must've trained tenaciously for literal years or decades in order to be able to do what they do. Yeah. And to be so, so adept that they can run whole organizations without so much as creasing a skirt suit, you know, and yet right. they shouldn't be super somehow. Yeah. Like, Ah. these other skills skills that take years of study practice and skill are somehow not as valuable as the crazy twists of fate or science like an experiment gone wrong that gives someone a whole body or spider abilities or just plain being born as a higher being like thor it's not as of higher value as these incredibly built up skills yeah. and stuff you know um, that kind of brings to mind too in the black panther universe there's like a tony stark equivalent um, the king's yes. sister. Yes. I don't remember her name, but correct. Um, yes, yes. It's same as like uh, Hope Van Dyne. You know, like the wasp. So intelligent, like crazy yeah. intelligent. Yeah, but she's stuff. never given that like Tony Stark kind of role. No, no. She's she, never. She, it's it's still secondary. It's like still secondary, being that yeah. brilliant and yet still secondary because you know they're skilled. They're skilled I think she's even more super. brilliant. She's even <laughs> like what she's created in Wakanda is even yeah. more impressive. Oh yeah, than, no, than, I agree. But yeah, I like agree. I don't we don't like they don't really talk about it or focus on it. Yeah, because these characters they don't get to have the moniker of genius. You know, like right. Tony Stark, who's a genius. Right. And, Even though she's obviously a genius. She or created Bruce Banner. Yeah. Bruce Banner is a genius as well, right. you know. But they're not geniuses. They're just like, oh my gosh, they're so awesome and really, really clever and stuff. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. like they don't get there's there's that whole mythology around the idea of genius and stuff and that is hugely male-centric it's exactly the kind of thing that the mcu continues to uphold just patriarchy i did watch these in a really concentrated span of time oh, yeah. not over the course of oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a decade or more to watch it all fresh in like such a marathon it must have been just so impactful and and unique as a as a watching experience yeah i'm, I'm pretty jealous and in that way i was primed to want to see better representation of female characters mm. like i i wanted mm. that so i think maybe i did see it more or twist it more to mm. to reflect that because that's what I, I wanted to believe i guess that's not a very oh, of course a yeah. very subjective way of of looking at it your acknowledgement of of your own you know <laughs> of your own position in relation to it is very insightful though i'd say yeah i think it's critical to be aware of our own flaws when we come into things like that, right. you know, you I mean, obviously like the, wanted to see certain stuff. So yes, yeah. like the girl power moment, 
Yeah. Any, any totally. like, media I've seen about it is like, it's the girl power mm-hmm. moment. It was amazing. Yeah. Instead of like, <laughs> well, did we need that? Would there have been yeah. another, another way to show yeah. these powerful characters? Um, I think there would have been. I actually think that they missed a humongous opportunity to do just that in a way. Yeah. With Captain Marvel. I think that would have uh, been yes, a yes. perfect opportunity. Because I get that she's really busy. <laughs> yeah. But most of the time, she comes in at just the right moment. This is the problem. I think this is one of the like key problems. It's basically a narrative problem that's left over from the comics themselves. But I would have thought that it might have been a good idea for maybe the MCU to actually try and in- introduce something that limits not limited her a bit, but at least got around that idea slightly somehow without trying to dilute her character. Because the thing about Marvel is that, yeah, she's a proper superheroine. She is literally like practically invincible to the point that she literally becomes this kind of like literal deus ex machina. So she can't be properly utilized because she has to not be there in order to come in at the last moment, which again, just dilutes her further. If she's there from the beginning, why would they lose? They couldn't lose. Besides her movie. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing. She's never really there. No. I mean, she has the... Exactly. She is the first superheroine to get her own film in the MCU. And just for some context, I do think that it is worth bearing in mind that it's pretty key First of all, to note that, you know, the comics that all of these are, are adapted from started in 1939 and there was not a superheroine until Fantastic Four's Sue Storm, a.k.a. the Invisible Girl. Note, you know, the irony of that is painful. But also note, also another note, she remained the Invisible Girl, despite being a woman, um, until 1985, which I think is pretty shocking. Then she became the Invisible Woman. But anyway, so that's like the history there. And it took Marvel Comics about 22 years to induce a woman as a superhero. The Marvel Cinematic Universe did not take as long. Black Widow first appeared in Iron Man. So it's like two years or whatever before there was a woman there. As we said before, she doesn't have actual superpowers necessarily, but highly skilled enough. But, you know, she was tangential and limited at best at first. And... Then it isn't until Ant-Man and the Wasp, so 2018, that a superheroine's name appears in the title of one of the films. And even then, it's a shared thing. It's not right. until the year, it's not until the year after that, 2019, that you get Captain Marvel, who's actually properly heading their own film. And I just think it's really tricky because what they do in Captain Marvel is there's this constant emphasis on emotion. And emotion being a problem, like emotion is a problem that you have to overcome. Like her training, it's just all based around, it's a danger for her to be emotional. And this just aligns totally with the idea that women are more emotional, thus they're weaker. Femininity is something that has to be overcome and struggle to be overcome constantly. Her solo film is undercutting her ability, skill, and and like her agency as well by suggesting that she has to operate under the supervision of Nick Fury. Like yeah. she was started, she started off getting her own shit done. And then it's like, he comes in and is like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. We, we need to work on this and reigns her in and directs her basically just makes her a tool. And by the end, you know, she's being beeped by him and stuff, you know, as if like, right. <laughs> as if, you know, uh, you know, she's just being, you know, brought in. As, and again, that plays into the whole Deus Ex Machina idea hugely, but it's also her being like a beck and call to like just this, male again right yeah at the service of the other yeah she's literally only in an endgame for like six minutes to come save the day at the end 
Yeah, there is a huge mixed reception about it. And one thing I would say is that I didn't hate on it as actively as a lot of people did. I think that it had some issues maybe, but on the whole, I did find it enjoyable because I quite liked the 90s elements of things. Landing in a blockbuster, that was great. And I liked, so I liked those things. I liked the idea of it showing you this background with Fury. I thought that was quite interesting. I didn't expect it. I, I thought it was quite quite fun. But again, it's if you're looking at it analytically, it's not as strong as her just carrying a film by herself. Black Widow did. She was able to carry that film by herself. They did not give Captain Marvel that opportunity, even though it was her introductory film no. and everything, which all the others, Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, they were all the only hero of their stories when they introduced them. Yeah, um, and right, it was like Captain Marvel and Nick Fury movie. Yeah. It was. It was like a team-up. Part of that is because she spends like half the film not knowing who the hell she is or what she's capable of. Yeah. Like, again, narratively, there's a reason. However, it's still a choice. However, it still has implications. Right. And I just think that's one of the problems with team-ups. Generally, Black Widow kind of has the same problem. Another one, actually, you know what? Gamora. Gamora is a really interesting case. She's not a damsel type character. She's not being kidnapped or whatever. She's not just a love interest. She is part of a team like Black Widow is, but she's not inferior in skill or ability or even at times narrative importance in many ways. But I would still say Peter Quill is still the main character. But Gamora is quite interesting because they attempt to lampshade the sexism that exists in the MCU in, Gu in Guardians of the Galaxy. On the one hand, you could argue that that's quite progressive. You know, like someone sort of makes some comment about her appearance being used to get what she wants. You know, again, all that very sort of spy-ish and whatever idea. And she kind of says something along the lines of, you know, are you kidding? So on the one hand, her rebuffing of these remarks and lampshading the sexism there could be considered to be progressive. But on the other hand, she is rebuffing these things and rolling her eyes at the insults she gets, like super sexual insults, like being called a whore, for example. She's doing that while in a sexualized outfit, <laughs> undercutting right. the value somewhat. Yeah. But worse still, I think worse, the worst thing, which again, I will admit, changes as it goes on. But this is, I'm just thinking about like her first appearance, I guess, in terms of this. Gamora's first appearance of the character is framed in a born sexy yesterday kind of way. Now, this is a concept that's a great one. And I really yeah. cannot plug the YouTube channel Pop Culture Detective strongly enough for exposing me to this idea because it is exceptional. But it's that situation where a visually fully grown and mature and attractive woman is some in other, some other way infantilized or inexperienced or lacking knowledge so that a male has to guide her and is, <laughs> or is generally just Payson's position of better understanding than her and that stuff yeah. like their rope where robot women come to life and they're brought into fully being grown up state, like physically, but they need to be taught the ways of the world or a mermaid who gets legs suddenly. And so she has to be shown how to like walk around on land. She doesn't even know what a fork is for, you know, that kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. stuff. <laughs> Most classic form of this trope though, it, it occurs in sci-fi, which it's using guardians, you know, really stand out to me because of how it plays out there. These are situations where a human man and it, you, and it really specifically is a human man, encounters a beautiful but unaware alien female and 
through his plain Joe type knowledge, is able to teach and bond with them and stuff. So Gamora is so skilled, but her lack of like emotional and mental development sort of from her abuse and extreme living situation growing up, plus the fact that humanity is alien to her, it gives rise to these opportunities for Peter to share music and dancing with her and her to rebuff his pelvic sorcery and such. Like, you know, it's it's a really classic element of that trope. Gamora getting together with the... Mm character that um the worst chris portrays like it it doesn't make sense no, he's a really. man child and you know well she's yes born sexy yesterday but also she is in control of herself i feel like they did that to black widow and the hulk too like i get that if you yeah want they did to, drop it but yeah <laughs> if you if you want to give these characters some kind of personal life like there's enough mm. going on that to introduce another character for that character to date, that's too much. I get why that's too yeah. much, but then it's also yeah. kind of gross to force the other characters together. Exactly, exactly right. Like, why why is it needed anyway? Why right. why why is the romantic element necessarily needed anyway? That right. just you know undercuts the whole or uh, the whole yeah, impetus vision, and the vision whole... and Wanda like that one. Yeah, there's something that I didn't like about like the setup mm. of that. Mm, you were right yeah, there was something I, a little bit fatherly about him mm, i mean that's what i thought they were going for at first it just completely surprised me is all when yeah and um, when i when i saw it was difficult i watched ultra like once and then it was like ages or something before i saw the next one and so there was like this gap for my brain just to settle into some obvious assumptions it made but even so it it, it took me by surprise but yeah i think it's i think it is interesting i i think Gamora would have had options if she wanted options equally why always the thing why always the focus on romance anyway right. um it's just from the literary narrative i guess <laughs> it just seems to be this like, core part of narrative that always gets pulled into things but it, it raises it does the reduce. stakes it, they have yeah. something to fight for but yeah. they feel like they did do it with the other male characters. Yeah. And their the, like friendships and their mm, relationships. They did it with Tony's parents. Even if they were dead, yeah. him learning stuff about how they died, that, that raised mm. the stakes for him. Yeah, exactly. You know, that it's not that there aren't other options, but it is still one that's always used in superhero films, it seems. But one thing, one other thing that I do think very much needs pointing out, as we were talking about the whole team dynamic of that both Black Widow and Gamora are like practically the only female in Avengers. I think it bears noting that uh, that both of them are sacrificed <laughs> despite yeah. being like the only in, main female character. Yeah. So, in in the same yeah. way. In the exact same way. <laughs> oh, in the exact same way as well. This is yeah. true. But yeah, I, I think that that's worth noting because especially when you bear in mind stuff like in both of their cases, in contrast, say, to Tony who has a peak narrative moment at the absolute like zenith of the story culminating you know 11 years a lingering death scene and a long funeral scene compared to that you've got both of them they have a death scene natasha has a brief mourning scene where the others mourn her in their kind of super masculine oh this is so unfair I want to throw a chair kind of way. Yeah. yeah. And then they're just both, they're, they're just uses motivations for other males to carry on or be upset or whatever. You know, like that is all it is made about narratively. And I just think that is a stark difference as well. Of course, I get that, that Tony Stark has 
an unparalleled level of importance to the MCU. Obviously, I get that. He right. started the franchise. It is all about him. Endgame was all about his story coming to an end. I totally get it. I do. It still yeah, just it really just still... stands out to me. The yeah. two key women in both of those groups there were killed off. Same way. And then, okay, now we carry on to get to Tony's important end. It just goes to show like how these characters get sidelined. Mm-hmm. We feel like we're making this progress in representation. Mm-hmm. But we still have to really, really look at how this is being accomplished. And is it changing anything? I've seen changes. Obviously, as we've talked about, Wonder is exceptionally complex. Compare that to, say, the portrayal of Agent Carter or something at the beginning of the MC. There's been growth and development. Or, or even Mary Jane, for instance, in, uh, in the Spider-Man world. I see distinct progress in line with just general wider cultural change. But I would say that what the MCU does need to do going into phase four and phase five and beyond, I really do think that they need to more actively work to redress some of these issues with having female characters just upholding the patriarchy, maintaining status quo, falling into really stereotyped positions, wearing stuff that is so so sexualized all the time, being objectified all the time. They just really need to like actively redress some of these areas. I thought it was really int- really notable, for instance, that in Captain Marvel, she wears some nice, cool, ordinary stuff, you know, some jeans, some, yeah. nice, some nice jacket and stuff. But then in Endgame, when she appears, she's got the tight suit on again. She's got the tight suit that she like developed by the end of Captain Marvel. And she's got like the cropped pixie cut and stuff. She's basically just this kind of, just this like super fans, just general wet dream. And that's all you see of her in that, because obviously she doesn't have different scenes or anything. She's She only exists like that in her suit. Because Captain Marvel is the most powerful yeah. <laughs> of all of the characters, but she's stripped of her humanity. Yeah. She just I sort think, of, yeah. like, she's just always working yeah. And also quite literally like stripped of humanity in the sense that she's just this kind of nomad in space. Compare that to Peter Quill, for example, who is in space and stuff, but his humanity and the humanness of him is always central somehow in the narrative. That's like really stark. I think it makes her more remote. And one of the key criticisms I heard a lot was that people didn't think that she was very likable or that they didn't like her confidence or something. Again, hugely steeped in just sexism and all these kinds of things. But I do think perhaps what one thing that maybe they're hinting at would be the humanness of her that maybe was a bit missing in ways, apart from her search for like herself or her history not a huge amount of of that sort of humanity of that that mixture of vulnerabilities and that attachment to earth or earthliness generally you know she's just wandering around like this incredible space hero figure part of her story is that she was a woman out of time she lost all of her memories of who she was when she was a human on earth she lost that connection And she comes back to Earth and she connects with her friends, but she doesn't Mm. have those memories. It's like it's a different kind of connection. Yeah, I agree. Obviously, Captain America is the man out of time. But I would say that to start with, obviously, she is a woman out of time. Yeah. But even at the end, like you say, she doesn't totally integrate again because she can't remember, really. Yeah, she has like flashes of when they did karaoke and stuff. But it wasn't... But even... Yeah, they don't make a huge big deal of it. Like, oh, she has all her memories back, you know. So right. even even then, like, even when she get, but even when she gets some of her orientation back, and she is 
not so much out of time anymore. She is still a woman out of space. She's always out of space. She is displaced and she remains displaced by choice. And I think that that's very noticeable. Yeah, I definitely agree. There's not really an explanation of why, besides a lot of people in the galaxy or or whatever need her help, there's not an explanation of why she wouldn't be like, I've done enough here. I'm going to take some me time. I'm going to hang out with my bestie, see if I can reclaim some of my memories. That's the critical thing. I would have much preferred that. That would have made super sense to me from a character perspective. But they can't have her do that because she's a deus ex machina. So she can't be on the world because she could easily be called and be there in seconds and sort it all out. So they just... Just literally like just wrote themselves into such a corner with her and it's such a failure i think to have done that with this character i just think that it's such a shame because it makes her character a bit lacking in my opinion it right. makes her character that little bit more flat because she has to just be ah, oh, i'm just going to be noble and go everywhere else because i have a universal uh, perspective. I get that she would have that, but equally that just strips her of the humanness again in the sense that she isn't concerned with like just earth, you know, and you'd have thought yeah. maybe Rift is covering her roots there and she's got people she loves there. So maybe you would be okay with like, okay, well then, yeah, I will stay here and I will have me time and I will rediscover and I will protect this world, you know, and it would make sense. It would totally make sense. <laughs> Let's do something with this character that yeah. isn't a love interest. Her hints of like rediscovering herself were of her friendship or of her very yeah. friendship, you know, slash work relationship. But mm. like, this this person that she literally slash kind of maybe had to- queer relationship, but you never know. <laughs> yeah, right, maybe, maybe I don't maybe. know that. I don't think they really hinted at that. No, I think they. they best- I think they left it open purposefully though, because they wanted to leave the fan space for it. So I just see a noticeable leaving the gap there, I guess. But yeah, it's it's conspicuous. But anyway, as you say, you know, it was about her friendships. It was about these connections. It would have made sense for her character to want to develop and explore that more. (laughs) Right. Instead of just roaming around the universe for all time, I guess, because she has this sense like, well, I missed out on all of this already. Yeah. And it's like, why wouldn't you recapture that? It's weird. (laughs) Right. But is that her punishment or, you know, like her self-imposed yeah, exile that she's like, well, I, I feel so disconnected and I can't get back into it. So I'm just going to, mm-hmm. to go and I'm going to. Yeah, I don't know. But whatever the reasoning behind it, it's unrelatable. And that is the problem with the yes. character. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is like why, although like, I did want to know more about that character. Mm. Yeah. It, it didn't. It just didn't feel as emotionally resonant as some of the other movies so so ultimately women in the mcu are are interesting but like mundane perhaps or um or or interesting but only skilled or they're super and they're kind of unrelatable with the exception of wanda they have to be Mm -hmm. like so perfect Mm. their weakness is that they're a woman so they can't have any other weaknesses any in any other way and then that makes it harder for them to be relatable again so it's just yeah it's just like this this vicious circle almost there's some things that need to change for this to be a good representation and the reason that that representation is important is because so many people are are watching these movies and if we just keep underlying this patriarchal structure Mm -hmm. and we're exporting this around the world yeah yeah like this. this is the thing. It's a global phenomenon. This has reached 
every inch of the world. It's exceptionally successful. The number of people watching it, the, think of the number of girls who've, wa- who've grown up watching it. I was technically already an adult, and it's. I would still say that it's impactful on me to have watched this development. I can't imagine what it would have been like if I started watching Iron Man or something when I was eight and, and up to now. I can't imagine that there was so much here that is still just being reinforced that's really outdated. But it's so subtle mm. and it's wrapped in all of these things that look really progressive. Mm. Yeah. So that makes it even worse that you do. You have to have mm. some level of media awareness. You mm. have to be, be aware of, of how these things are, are used and how they're packaged to, yeah, to because look this better is than they because- are. Because fans are watching these things, they are internalizing all of these lessons, unspoken or not. They really yeah. are. And this is why, this is just, this is exactly why I look at the types of things that I do. It is important to look at the things that are popular because they are the things that are having the most impact on society because they're popular. Anything that's really popular is considered lowbrow, is considered not worthy of analysis. But these are the things that need analysis. That's very true. I'm very guilty of that. I'm very much like, well, everybody likes, everybody else likes that. I'm <laughs> very, very guilty of that. So this was a, a good exercise for me to, to, to take well, a look. I you at enjoyed something. it. I, yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. I like you, like you I go, said. I hope you found enjoyable things. I did. Watch, uh, from watching them. I definitely, yeah, the fight scenes are a lot. They're very stimulating. <laughs> they go on for a really long time. I know that's what people are showing up for. The incredible yeah. special effects and the big visual it's the spectacle. spectacle and the, yeah, right, and the nah. like, and the concern and the yeah. being able to, to show your characters in mortal peril. Definitely never what attracted me personally. I would say that it was much more just character driven where my interests lie with it. I had to just, just grit my teeth and bear the prolonged action sequences somewhat <laughs> yeah. myself but yeah I, i'm glad that you got something out of it that you found things that were surprising or, or interesting from yeah. the experience of watching them at least that's yeah uh, absolutely and thank you so much for making me think more deeply about it you know even though i watch them with more of a critical eye than I, I maybe would have if I was just like a casual viewer or someone who consumed media in the way of like, I'm just going to watch literally everything to be even more critical and to take all those things that I saw that I was like, okay, all right, I guess that is more progressive than I thought it was going to be. And then mm-hmm. to say, but it could be even better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly yeah and we can we can demand this we can ha- keep having this conversation we can point it out we can react to other pieces of journalism and media that are being made about this and say okay sure yes we did get to see captain marvel but what more can we do with her can we humanize her like we've humanized mm. a literal god can we humanize <laughs> yeah. her like that <laughs> yeah exactly i just yeah there's more work to be done that's, there absolutely the is yeah. there absolutely is thank you so much for joining me again lucy this was such a great topic i would have never thought to do this by myself so i'm so glad that well, you that's great that's, me I'm, to so, this. I'm so pleased i mean I, I think that we covered so much stuff it's so interesting and i had so much more to say on it than i even thought that i would so yeah <laughs> <laughs> really good well thank you for sharing please remind us where we can find you on social media so on instagram it's lucy underscore rivers underscore pgr on linkedin you'd find me at linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash lucy rivers and twitter it's lucy r i p h d 
Wonderful. Thank you so much. Looking forward Thank to the next so time much. you're on the podcast. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> and we will see you next time. If you want to support the spinster life, listen up. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or sign up for the Substack newsletter, spinsterlife.substack.com or follow us on Instagram at livingthespinsterlife. I'm also on YouTube. The channel handle is The Spinster Life. Thanks for listening.